Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates classic, current, and cult films. I'm your host, Steve Rubin. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury, and we're on the Lock 22 Network. Here it's always Saturday night, and I'm pleased to welcome our very special guest, three-time Emmy-nominated actress Veronica Cartwright. Because of her association with so many classic genre titles, she's also the perfect guest for Halloween season. We've had some technical difficulties this week, so we will pick up the interview in progress. China tea, two tea cups and biscuits. And I would sit next to him and have tea with him in the afternoon. I mean, he treated me like I was sort of a grown up. And then I had my 13th birthday. Of course, the day they did the 13th birthday was the day we were in that big plastic bubble with all the birds coming down the chimney, you know, thousands of them being shot at us. And of course, birds would fly up and they'd hit the ceiling and then boom, they dropped down and they didn't know where to go. And then you'd step on me, learn to shuffle. Oh my God, it was just horrible. It was just absolutely horrible. And of course, I was looking at Jessica Tandy, who was like totally freaking out. And I, <laughs> I did, she, she trod on a bird and couldn't, be, oh, she was beside herself. But that's where I realized, just look at the other person. And you, you know, you don't have to think of oddball things in order to make it work. I mean, Oh my God, it was a sort of a fantastic realization of how. Rewind a little bit. Uh, the audition process, you meet him in his the bungalow at Universal. Uh, was it a protracted audition or did you get the part right away? I guess I got the part right away. I mean, I got, I, I think he had seen the children's hour and had right. requested meeting me. So, got it. Um, as far as I know, I mean, that they called the agent and yeah, I got it. So and you, it was like a six month movie because we right. shot the movie twice. I mean, you shoot everything out in Bodega Bay and then you come back in and he's built everything and picked up the house and picked up the tree and stuck it in the universal lot. Um, and, uh, I drove up to Bodega back in the 70s just out of curiosity because everyone's talking in well, Bodega Bay this and Bodega Bay that. Um, an eerie, kind of an eerie place I found. A little bit, you know, a little bit isolated and there were a lot of birds around. What was your impression of Bodega Bay? Well, it sort of seemed like a set, didn't it? I mean, it was, we all stayed in uh, Santa Rosa. And so they took us into Bodega Bay, but the way the schoolhouse was set up on the hill and then there was a church over there and everything was sort of spread out. It, it was a little bizarre. It was a little bizarre, but I mean, it was, running down that hill i don't know how many times we ran down that hill a lot of times we ran down that hill um right, well let's describe that thing because that's certainly one of your more memorable ones the kids have been in the schoolhouse and they look they're at singing that song every time i hear that song oh my god almighty <laughs> trying to learn those words i mean and then um all of a sudden we're told to get up and leave and um 
and then they just he their camera was like down at the bottom of the hill. I guess they must have followed us in some sort of a dolly. I don't even really remember. But um no, we I mean we run down that damn hill and then get back up and go back up and run down again. Um it was and obviously all the birds attacking were added later on with the special. No, not all of them. Not oh, all of them. Oh. They had uh, mechanical birds that he had oh. had made in Germany that would peck and flap. Um, and that was on the kids. Um, those birds weren't added in like CGI. They were actual mechanical birds that oh, he okay. made. Wow. And it's interesting because there's no music in the movie. It's only this squawking um kind of electronic, weird electronic sort of bird sounds i mean it's just weird um it really is i mean i it it's really a classic movie it really is, it is. um i mean i i can't tell you how many times i've seen it i used to do quite a few things with tippy and we would go and uh you know, talk about it. And we were invited to go to a lot of places. And we did the one at the Motion Picture Academy, which was watching the birds on that big screen was pretty sensational. But... Um, well, my definition of a classic is a movie that no matter how many times you see it, it, you still feel like you're just seeing it for the first time. Right, you forget things. You forget what you're... And, and uh, yeah, it's true. I mean... I, I, watching it, you'd go, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yes. Oh, that was the time that um, when uh, Rod brings her downstairs after being in the attic, that was a stunt lady um, because Tippy was in the hospital. She was so exhausted after five days of having birds chucked at her and meat stuck on her face that she sort of had like a, she was just like totally exhausted or what. And so they just said, well, this will just be the stunt woman. So, oh, okay. And so Rod carries her down the stairs. She was quite a bit bigger than, than Tippy was. Um, good old Rod. He, God, he well, was. I was going to ask you about Rod. Oh, so gorgeous! I, I, you know, I didn't know who Rod Taylor was. And then there's a documentary on Rod Taylor that I was part of, and we got to, I got to meet him, and um, up, well, after so many years, and because. Um, I was, I had my 13th birthday on the set and everybody, you know, the whole cast and crew and everything, you know, huge big cake and Tippy gave me lovebirds and, and Hitch actually gave me, I have it here. Um, um, he asked Peggy for a piece of board and Peggy hands him a piece of board and he wrote to the woman I love, Veronica, and drew his face and signs it. So um, that's why I meant, when I said earlier, like I would have tea with him, he never treated me like I was a child. It was always like respectful. And I don't know if I reminded him of his daughter or what it was. Um, but I liked him. I, I thought he was, he used to tell terribly bad jokes, nasty jokes, <laughs> rude jokes. As Are my, you talking about Rod or Hitch? Hitch. Hitch. And, um, and I would be there and everybody would killing themselves laughing. And then I remember going home and I'd say to my aunt, because my aunt took me a lot of the time to the set. I said, well, Hitchcock just said this joke. And I would, and she goes, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think some of them must have been very bad. <laughs> but he, didn't, he was, I don't know. He was cool. I thought he was very cool. And it was... 
different ways of shooting. And in those days, CGI were big amber screens of gas. Um, and we had to redo the car scene inside um, on the set. And they had it sort of on like a gyro and guys on all four corners going like this and moving the car like it was driving. And, and then that's where the close-up of me breaking down and saying that she was there and she saved me and pulled me into the house. I mean, we shot that on a set, but that back screen was actually, they used to use these big amber screens. Yeah, I think they were, were like gas. Instead of blue screens, they were yellow screens. Yeah, there were- Yeah, but it was a form of a gas, I think, wasn't it? Interesting. The, um, the car scene you're talking about is the ending scene where you're- No, driving. no, it's the oh. one coming from the schoolhouse. Oh, from the schoolhouse, got yeah. it, got it. Um, yeah, the, the movie is just one uh, terrifying jump to another once the birds start to attack. And I think that people have always been fascinated with movies that are somewhat post-apocalyptic, you know, whether it's a nuclear thing or giant ants or whatever. But the, the movie was it had so much realism about it, which I think makes it effective. The, right. scene, the scene where you're in the house when when uh, the, the birds come down the chimney and the birds are all flying around, that must have been nuts. Well, that's the scene I was talking about right. when I did my birthday. And right. there were like 15,000 birds up in that chimney and they were all in like shafts. So they'd pull these shafts and the birds, of course, go down and we're in a huge plastic bubble you know, with oxygen in there, obviously, otherwise we'd all kill over. <laughs> and the camera lens, you know, sticking through the plastic. But of course, once the birds came out, because they all swooped and they all went up, they didn't know, they couldn't go anywhere. So they would just drop. It was really a very odd sensation. But you didn't get pecked, did you? I didn't get pecked, but no. they were baby. They were little finches and sparrows. And right. the ASPCA was very upset with them. Um, and then and our script supervisor had the props build her and a whole cage system so she'd take birds that got hurt and have them on the set healing them. Oh, wow. I know. It's pretty trippy. Pretty, pretty trippy. What are your memories of Tippy? Oh, Tippy's lovely. She's just lovely. Um, and over the years, I've gotten to know her a lot better. And... Uh, She's just, she was just a lovely, or is a lovely person. But, um, you know, she, she sort of has different feelings about Hitchcock. But I, you know, being 12 at the time, I didn't, didn't really know what was going on. He seemed to have something for blondes, that's for sure. Well, not all blondes, because they're like, um, I was talking to uh, um, the psycho. Um, who did Vera Miles? Yeah, Vera, no, it wasn't Vera Miles and Psycho. Uh, it was um, Kurt, um, Curtis. Uh, oh, Janet Lee. Janet Lee. Um, and uh, Jamie Lee, I, I, we had gone to something after, which was a compilation or something. And um, she said, no, her mom loved Hitchcock. He, um, she never felt threatened or anything the only other one might have been i think was was it diane baker because he grace kelly loved i mean it was something about tippy that he found to be magnetic i think mm -hmm. and um 
you know, she, I mean, I'm sure in the beginning she didn't know that, but, you know, I guess she had to fend him off or whatever, right? Yeah, there was a dark side to Hitch, but we won't get into that. Because um, I don't know about it. So <laughs> Why? You, you and I have another touching point. In addition to me interviewing Hitchcock and you, of course, being in the movie, uh, I, I arrive and I, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up here. And one of my first jobs in the business is I was hired by United Artists and producer Bob Solo to be the advance man on Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, God, what a wonderful movie that was. It was so terrific. I had so much fun. Well, I love Phil Kaufman. I mean, he's just divine. He's just... Most, most remakes of classic science fiction movies have been pretty awful, you know. But yeah, this but this one... was like a continuation. Right. It was supposed to be, I mean, thank God we weren't walking around with those big corn cobs. I mean, that would have been embarrassing at this point. But... Um, the fact that they were little pods and there were webs and these things and and it was like a continuation and then having um, what's his name run in and crash on the windshield Kevin, Kevin, McC Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy. Right. I mean and then it goes around the corner screaming they're coming they're coming um, <laughs> it's sort of and everybody's sort of like you know going what the fuck but oh sorry um, anyway they had um, that week the week before we got up there, they had a, something that happens every hundred years or something. These webs that came down and covered the trees. And it was, they were like all these things hatching. all over. So they went out, of course, and they filmed it. And the article that um, is being read when um, Donald is looking at the newspaper is an actual thing about the webs covering San Francisco. How so then when that? they made these little pots, they put like hairy webs coming from them on. Interesting. interesting. Isn't that, that was an actual thing. It was an actual article in the newspaper that they included in there. And there's a, like a big close up webs covering San Francisco. Something that apparently only happens every hundred years or something. Uh, do you remember your first? Do you remember your first meeting with Phil? Um, I actually met with Bob Solo. Right. Um, I had been doing Going South with Jack Nicholson, and um, so I, they requested meeting me over at um, M MGM. It was MGM those days, and. Um, so I went over and met them and then Phil, I don't think I met Phil until, no, I must've met him beforehand. I can't even remember where I, when I met Phil. I adore him, he was just so wonderful. He's such a wonderful director. I mean, he talks to you and he has, you know, if, he wants to hear your thoughts on stuff. And there was that whole scene about the, you know, the why do they always have to come in metal ships? I mean, they could which be... Is, uh, which is such a piece of memorable dialogue. I always remember the way you said that. And your kind, your your character... Um, is a survivor. Is a survivor. But your character is also kind of like the intelligent heart of the movie in a way, because you're like examining this stuff and keeping an eye on things. I, By the way, I thought your chemistry was terrific with Jeff Goldblum. I thought you guys <laughs> made a great pair. He's He must have been a hoot to work with. <laughs> 
<laughs> we we did that scene running in when we see the hair on the thing and running back. And we were called the dancing Belichicks. I mean, he's just like all arms and legs. And oh my God, he's so insane. And at that point, he was in love with this woman. I think he ended up marrying her, but um, he wanted to know, he goes, oh, I've done something very bad. I, mean, I don't know, what should I do? Are yellow roses appropriate? I mean, these in-depth conversations that you'd have with Jim, so we're just, he's just so, so hysterical. And those commercials he's doing now, they're like a disembodiment. They're like not even, he doesn't even use his own name. You know, it's like so bizarre. He's hysterical. He's very funny. Well, you, you, you both have had a lot of fun in the genre because you do a lot of science fiction. You do a lot of fantasy. He does the same thing. And I, I just think that casting was so critical in that movie. I thought that um, Donald Sutherland particularly was great in the lead. Oh, wonderful. You know, and, and Donald decided that he had to have curly hair. Um, and remember in that movie, he had like curls. Well, he didn't want to get a permanent. So he um, had the hairdresser put little pink rollers in his hair every morning, like roll um, permanent rods, you know? Right, right. So he would do all his rehearsals in pink rollers. <laughs> God almighty, it was hysterical. You do all your rehearsals and here he is in his pink rollers. He is a little, he is hysterical. He's just totally off the wall. And then about three weeks before the movie was over, he says, oh, go ahead. I'm sick of this. Just perm it. I mean, he should have just permed it in the beginning. I mean, people were getting perms all the time, but no, he had to have curly hair and he'd have to get it reset at lunch because San Francisco's damp. Right. hysterical it was very funny but he took me and uh, myself and Brooke out to the Fairmont Hotel and um, we went up to the bar because he wanted to get us a bottle of Cristal champagne and he says that is the best champagne that there is and you ladies deserve it so he orders the bottle of Cristal and they said, I'm sorry, sir, we're out. He says, we are too. And up he got, and then we went to another hotel. <laughs> to get our Cristal. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, thank you, we are too. I mean, up we, come on ladies and off we went. Oh my God. He's a character. He was really, a, he is a character. And um, when I did the right stuff with oh. Phil, um, Phil Kaufman directed that as well. Right. And they had an incredible party at the end. And Donald um, went to the party. They did it at the Kennedy Center. And it was a guards and, oh, my God. And then they had the after party at an airport um, where they had all of these old airplanes and 40s dance music and swing music and stuff like that. And, oh, my God, it was so elaborate and so incredible. And in comes Donald and he swoops in. I'm giving an interview on something. And he comes swooping in. He gives me a big hug. I mean, he's just so, he's just like all arms and legs, too. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, he's very clumsy. And, I mean, everybody was panic stricken when he was running down this stairs are like at lightning speed that he was going to break a leg or something oh my god it's just so funny 
funny. He's very good, very wonderful. Lately, lately Donald Sutherland seems to be taking on these larger than life roles, playing. Doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Very yeah. much the, especially in the Hunger Games with that beard of his and everything. That's um, <laughs> very funny. Now, to top it off, you also had Leonard Nimoy, but I don't know if you guys had any scenes together. Did yeah, you? we did. Remember? Oh, you did. Okay. Yes, yeah. because he comes and he's the one who talks us into um, um, wanting the, the girl with the, at the bookstore. Oh, right, right. Because um, he's, she's now a pod, but he wants us to get involved and you, you can't think of it as being a bad thing because she goes and she complains that her husband is, you know, um, turning into a, something's wrong with him. And it was so interesting because the way Phil approached it, it was, we were all living in the gray. Nobody wanted to commit to anything. That's what you were turning into. You didn't want to say like you fall totally in love and the despair of you break up or any of those things. No, the pods were people that just wanted to live in the gray. Don't commit to anything. I mean, then you don't have to worry about anything, you know? And um, I remember going out to dinner with um, Jeff and Brooke and the taxi driver of course, Jeff likes to starts talking. Well, what's good around here? And you know, he's hysterical. I mean, he, at the end, the, the guy, the truck, uh, taxi driver, didn't say a word. When we got out, he goes, "Oh my God, he's a pod. He's a pod." I mean, it was, it was, and he was. He was like a pod. He was a pod. I, I mean, he didn't talk. He didn't do anything. He just drove us there and dropped us off. I think we all know a few of those kinds of people yes, these we days. Do. We De do definitely. Well, there was uh, not a lot of time between you finishing Invasion of the Body Snatchers and all of a sudden you're working for Ridley Scott on Alien. Mm -hmm. Yes, I auditioned actually three times for Alien. Um, I auditioned with just the casting people, I guess it was. And then I, I do believe I, test, I, I tested for Ridley in L.A., and then I happened to be going over to England for, um, I used to go visit and hang out for a few months at a time and um, visit my grand and stuff. And I was over there and before I left, I called the agents and I said, if that part hasn't been cast, meaning Ripley, um, can I, can you talk to the people in England? I'd happy to go over and, you know, see them again. So I did, I auditioned again when I was in England. And then I came back to the States and then I found out that I had it. But I thought I had the part of Ripley, which I didn't. I found that out when I went back over and um, I was uh, reading, we were doing my costumes. <laughs> I was reading in one of the columns that uh, the final choice was between uh, Sigourney and Meryl Streep, of all people. Oh, really? Apparently, Meryl Streep was in mourning because of the death of her boyfriend, John Cazares. Oh, I guess, John, yeah. So she was not emotionally ready. And I'm sorry you didn't get that role. But Lambert's not chump change either. You're well, no, but she's very similar. In a sense, she's the audience. Um, she, and if you think about it, I'm the only sane one. I mean, I say, let's just draw straws and get in the capsule and leave for crying out loud. But no, we have to hang out. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love it when you people say, uh, you say, oh, I was an alien. They go, oh, which part? I mean, there was only two women in the whole damn movie for crying out loud. 
Well, oh, I was the one, the last to die. That was me. Oh, God. Well, being on a Ridley Scott set, I'm sure, is quite an experience. He seems to be coming from advertising, doing commercials. He really is a true artist, isn't he? Well, I mean, that's where his eye is and that's where his focus is. And he hired people that were really good at what they did. And um, because it's like the scene where um, Ash breaks down, the computer breaks down and his head's through the table. I mean, <laughs> poor Ian Holm is sitting there with his head through a table, you know, and he's sitting on a chair underneath and he's got shit all over him. I mean, pouring milk on his head and there's grapes. And so he's sitting there and he's going through this incredible monologue where he says, has anybody tried to communicate with them? which none of us had. And if maybe if we had tried to communicate, it wouldn't have been so much like a, you know, like freak out or, or whatever. And um, we're doing this whole speech and it was incredibly touching. And all of a sudden Ridley stops. Oh, cut. I hate these effing balls. And he was talking about these little silver cake balls that were, you know, sprinkled in and out. He didn't like the way they looked. It was like no attention to what the scene was. We're all standing around enthralled. I'm crying. And he's worried about the balls, these little <laughs> balls. I mean, and Ian had to go back three weeks later and redo the entire scene with none of us there. Wow. Or three months. I can't remember what it was, but he said, no, we all had to go. And he said, none of us were there. I mean, it was just off camera stuff and he had to go through the speech again, all because he didn't like those little balls. He was very particular about what things look like, which of course is what makes the movie. I mean, there's no CGI. I mean, the entire thing is incredibly visceral. Now, Veronica, did you know any of the cast people before you did the show? No, no. They were all but, um, I. I, I uh, no, I didn't know anybody. Well, I knew their work, but I didn't know anybody. So and originally, John Hurt wasn't the original um, character that he played. Um, we had a, a John, um, what's his name, John? Oh, shoot. He was in that movie where there's that incredible shot, um, which... Hitch did where it goes all the way down the stairs and goes across the street and goes back up. Um, what was that movie? It was wow. like a one, it was no before steady cams. And this, the whole thing where he runs down the stairs and it, he is the camera. And then it goes up onto the other side. I can't remember what the name of the movie was. And this actor was there, but he had just gotten out of the hospital from having pneumonia. Oh. And uh, Ridley, I mean, uh, buckets of beeswax that were around. I mean, just all the time there was smoke. Every place, it's all smoke for atmosphere. And of course, in those days, it was this kind of beeswax stuff. I mean, nothing was, you know, toxic, classified as toxic in those days. And um, he was back in the hospital. So John Hurt came in. And then I see John, and I thought, and he had a crew cut like me. I mean, I he really had put me through six hours of torture of cutting my hair off. Oh. And it finally ends up with this crew cut. And then walks John Hurt, who looks just like me. I said, well, oh, my God, it's like a clone of me. I mean, freckles, white skin, and a crew cut. I mean, 
God, I love John. John was a sweetheart. They're all, I, I mean, just lovely people. So it made it really. Um, well, certainly the tour de force scene for you, of course, is when the uh, the chest burster comes bursting through John's chest. And I've heard various stories. Why don't, why don't you talk about that morning from as much perspective as you can give us? Well, um, of course, we read a script, so we knew that there was going to be a chest bursting. I mean, we knew the thing was coming out. And Sigourney and I had to do a scene after that. Um, prior so we said well what are we even talking about i mean we don't even know what this creature looks like so they took us down to the prop department and showed us this little penis puppet that was um, <laughs> kind of gray oh they were so excited they told us and the mouth is going to go in and out and it's going to breathe and we're going uh-huh uh-huh and um i mean it was just so totally bizarre and um so we um, at least knew what it was going to look like, but nobody else did. So we're all in our dressing rooms for hours, and um, we come down to the set, and the whole set is in, done in plastic. There's four cameras around. They're all covered in plastic. Everybody's wearing raincoats. It's like, oh, my God, what the hell's going on here? It, the smell is disgusting. There are buckets of falafel, uh, falafel, um, um, what is it? Awful, awful, <laughs> not full awful, awful. Um, you know, kidneys and guts and all this stuff in formaldehyde sitting in buckets around because John's chest is actually stuffed with this stuff so that when it bursts out, it, oh my God, it was disgusting. I mean, I started gagging the minute I walked in there and I thought, oh my God. So we all gather around, we get our places, we, you know, know what we're supposed to do and we have to watch this, this thing. So they had cut John's chest with like a, a you know, a, 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 on the t-shirt so that the thing could, puppeteer could push through. Well, of course it gets incredibly tense as you're watching this and you start to see this thing. And then all of a sudden Ridley shouts cut and you think, oh my God. And so he has them cut it a little bit more. You know, I, I'm sure he planned all of this. Cut a little bit more so that they knew for sure it would be able to break through. So here we are again. Everything you see is one shot. We shot it once, that is it. And I <laughs> happened to lean into a blood jet. I was so fascinated by watching this. I leaned directly into a blood jet, which hit me in the face. And I backed up, my knees hit that banquette. I flipped over the back. My, Boots were up on the back of the banquette thing. And I thought, oh my God, they're still shooting. And I turned over and I ran back in to finish the scene. It was so ridiculous, so ridiculous. But they actually found that footage. It's on the latest cassette. So it was like a Matt Senate movie, da, 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 gone. I just disappeared. <laughs> That was hysterical. I mean, we were in hysterics watching it in the, you know, in, when we got to go see that, because everybody, of course, they let us go see the bursting scene. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty intense. It was really great. Well, the whole movie is one long, pretty intense movie. There's not a lot of yucks and aliens. Uh -huh. uh, and, and I thought that what was very cool, and I think we all kind of got into it, is that 
this is a dirty spaceship. This is not clean Star Wars look. This is the other side of it. Oh, no. It, we were truckers in space. That's what Ridley told us. We're truckers in space. And it was greasy and hot. The air conditioning had gone out. They'd spray us down with big um, spray things of glycerin so that our skin was shiny. Oh, my God. You were so disgusting when you got home. I mean... You were like dirt was like a magnet to you. You were just oh my god, it was revolting. Did you stay in one hotel the whole time you were in England? Oh no, I, I rented a house. Oh, you did okay. Yeah, I rented a house while I was there, and um, at that time I rented a house on the other side of the river, and in Battersea, which is now of course very shishi, but at the time I was on the wrong side of the river, but. It was 1,400 pounds to rent this house with a backyard and upstairs, three bedrooms and a living room furnished. And it was owned by an honorable and her father was in parliament. And the reason she was renting her house out, I had a washer and a dryer and a shower, unheard of. I mean, the reason um, she was going to move with her boyfriend to Galway to the gatehouse uh, on the front at the castle in Galway, which sits right on the bay. And I happen to have a picture of my horse out. She goes, oh, you ride. I said, yes, this is my horse. And so she says, oh, you must come on a hunt with us when we go hunting. I'll call you and you'll have to go to Moss Bros and get your outfit. <laughs> Oh, okay. If I'd be damned if she didn't call five months later and she goes, all right, we're going on a hunt. Go down to Moss Bros. I mean, all of a sudden I had a ticket to Galway. I flew into Galway and I got to ride with the Galway Blazers. And these people that were meeting, oh, hello. Oh, so lovely to me. These are lords and ladies. And here I am. They thought it was so cool. I was an actress doing a movie. <laughs> And um, I get on this, <clears throat> Morag was her name, 17-hand horse. And we flew, I did 25 walls. And um, Wow. And, 20, you, and yeah. you were an experienced jumper? Oh, uh, no, not a jumper, but I had ridden for years and I had my own horse. But they said, just give her her head. And they would say, you know, lean back if you were going over up, up a hill. Wow. They would sort of give you signals of what to do. So I just gave her her head um and about the 25th wall i fell off and um so they rounded morag up and they came back and i got back on you know me and my tweeds i had landed in a huge cow patty that was like clinging oh. to my back it was disgusting <laughs> anyway i get back on the horse and off i go and these people, oh, fabulous, you're one of us now. Isn't that fantastic? Don't touch it, it'll drop off. Oh, okay. And I'll be damned, a big turd, it dries off and just falls off. And then you take a brush and you brush the rest of it off. But I did, I did three more walls after I fell off. And then I thought, you know, I hadn't ridden in six months. So that was enough for me. And... Um, two people fell into the bay <laughs> Oh wow! after I had gotten off. I didn't realize the next jump and, and Philippa said, yeah, I don't think you should take the next jump because it goes over a wall and into the bay. So I was glad I hadn't done that. But then there was a woman there from Virginia 
we you because they give you horses and you go and we were standing and we could see the fox running and see the riders going and then afterwards we went um to um the pub and with the gentleman who owned the castle and um, we all had um, bangers and mash or whatever it was we were having and then we went over to his house and we had port brandy. Oh, I tell you, it was quite posh. Sounds very elegant. <laughs> it did, was. It was three days. Guys, three did days. Did you guys bag a fox? No, I, no, they, well, the woman who had been the um, lead person had broken her pelvis. So it was a new gentleman. So no, they did not kill the fox. Well, that's good for the fox. That was good. And if they had, I probably I wouldn't have been swiped because I didn't finish the whole, which is fine. I didn't need the tail of the, you know, here, let's rub that tail on her. I think they do <laughs> in the very, very beginning. But you stop off at a pub at 530 in the morning and you get a, um, they all carried these little flasks and it was filled with port and brandy. It was a mix because it was freezing. And um, it was sleeting out there. It was 5.30 in the morning. There was sleet. And here we are with our horses, you know, going up and down. Oh, my God. But it was a wonderful experience. Were you married to Richard at that time? Richard, Rick Gates? Uh, Richard no, Compton. Richard Compton. No, I met Richard when I was doing, um, eight, in 1981, I met Richard. Oh, okay. Okay, so much earlier. Oh, much later. Late, much later. Much later. Because I, I know Richard Compton's name from having directed one of my favorite films, Macon County Line. Yes, yes, yes. Isn't that an incredible movie? Yeah, Richard passed uh, 15 years ago. Right. No, I know. Um, and what was so great is about three months, uh, three months before he passed, or um, Quentin Tarantino was doing those movies, the Grindhouse movies. Right. And um, he was um, talking on NPR about he made all of his cast and crew see the epitome of a grindhouse movie. And that was Making a County Line. Wow. And so they showed it that night at, or a couple nights later at the Royal. So I called Richard and I said, you need, because he was sick at this point. I said, you need to go see this. They're doing, Quentin Tarantino is talking about you. So he did, and he got to go on stage and talk about the movie. And uh, so a few years later, I was doing a convention in England, and um, Quentin Tarantino was on the flight. So I went up to him, and I said, I want to thank you for what you did for my husband, because, you know, to have something like that just before you pass was really, and, you know, it was great. It just was a boost to his ego. It was great. Sure, sure, of course, of course. Well, Veronica, you are such a force in our business. You're always working. You, your energy is palpable. Um, you've done some wonderful films. I'm sure you're going to do more in the future. I know that you got back into the Body Snatchers game because you're in The Invasion in 2007. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, and and the Oliver, who was the director, he... Um, he um, felt that he wanted to bring that in as part of, you know, the, an homage, an homage. 
Right, because you technically so, you did survive the original. I did survive. I did. Yes. Well, you know, you learn how to pretend you're falling asleep. I always thought they'd do a, a, a spin-off, but they didn't, unfortunately, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh well. well. Everyone, we've been listening to the wonderful Veronica Cartwright on the eve of Halloween, and we're all going to celebrate this week the, uh, the the night when dead leaves fly and witches on switches fly across the sky. I still remember my song from sixth grade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the Witches of Eastwick. You can always watch that. That's right. Another but one. That's a film. good, fun movie to watch on Halloween. And then you'll have to look forward to January when you see Gotham Knights, which is the series that I'm doing right now. Tell us a little bit about the character you play on that show. Oh, well, I'm an older woman. Um, <laughs> and I'm in a rest home. And um, But I, have, um, I am the daughter of the Butcher of Gotham. And oh. the premise is that Batman has been murdered so we think and um um his adopted son is on the trying to find out where he is who killed him and how did it happen because they're not putting it down as a murder and um so it's really it's a the cast is darling i mean they're all these young wonderful actors and um, so I've done one episode and I go back and I do another episode, um, next week. So, great. and I don't know what's in store for me, but the writer said, oh, you're going to have a lot of fun with episode seven. <laughs> so cross fingers that it gets, I get to do more of them. So fabulous, fabulous. Break a leg on that one. Thanks. Uh, hi everyone. I'm your host, Steve Rubin. You've been listening to Saturday night at the movies and the wonderfully uh, wonderfully creative and talented Veronica Cartwright has been our guest. Our producer, as always, is Ben Shrewsbury, who keeps the dials turning. We're on the Lock 22 network. And thank you again for joining us. And Veronica, be well. It's good to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's been fun. And I like your palm trees behind. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he did that for me because I didn't want to talk to a blank screen. Uh, so thank you.